Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Acts chapter 1 verses 1 to 11. When I finish reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord and you will respond, thanks be to God. Acts 1, 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This is the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, good morning everyone. I think it would be unfair for me to start and not say Happy New Year. So let me say Happy New Year to everyone. Okay, so, so if you know me, you know that I want more of a response. Eh? I'm not like Femi that uh, wants to do take two. So Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Um, thank you, Jumoke, for, for that Bible reading. Let me start by um, carrying on with a thought that I think Femi presented during our Christmas service last week. So Femi started off with giving us some statistics about um, expectations or anticipations. And he gave us some stats that suggest that people actually have some sort of thing that comes up in their body as a result of expectation or as a result of anticipation. So allow me to stretch that thought a little bit. But what I will talk about will be something slightly different, which is waiting. Now, if you're a typical Lagosian like myself, I grew up here you will know that waiting in Lagos is not exactly something that is, that is quite attuned with Lagosians. I've, I've caught my fair share of Molue buses. And when it comes to uh, trying to catch a bus, people don't... It's, it's only recently that we started to see uh, BRT buses having queues. I drove by CMS and you see BRT buses with queues there. That was not the case five, ten years ago. You see people, you know, like five people trying to enter into one bus uh, at the same time. You go to banks, people are not really ready to wait. People don't want to wait for, say, for instance, your 
you, you, you call customer service and you want that device, so you're, you're put on hold. It's not something that we like to do, right? But here's the, the funny thing. Most of the time, we just have to wait. There's nothing you have to do. But let me say something funny about waiting. There's two broad class classifications that I think human beings can be classified as when it comes to waiting. This is Francis' classification, by the way. So in case you want to quote me, you can quote me. So it's two broad classifications, right? One of such waiting, there's waiting that I, I, I tend to call helpless waiting. Let me give you an example. For instance, people that are waiting for MMM to open again <laughs> in a few months' time, right? There's nothing you can do about it. Just wait for the, for the MMM. You can't, you can't force it to, to happen. You can't do anything about it. Or let me give you another, another better example. I heard about a joke last week. Remember when you know, you're in university, you, you are maybe in your 40 year or final year, CGPA is in jeopardy. You are just, you've just written one exam like that. And you know, you're coming out of the exam. You're not even sure of what you wrote. And you answered number six. And then you just hear two guys. You know when people are now <laughs> arguing about the answer to the exam. And you just hear somebody that is 35.5. No, you say, no, it's 36%. No, I say it's 35.5%. And you check which number you were talking about. And they say it's number six. And your answer was South Africa. <laughs> and you're saying, ah, ah. And at that point in time, you just have to wait. There is nothing you can do again except wait for the results to come out. And you see whatever you're going to get. That's what I call helpless waiting. There's nothing you can do again. It's going to happen. Whatever is going to happen will what will happen. Then there's another waiting that is reflected in what you do, right? A very typical example is the five wise virgins that were waiting that were waiting for the bridegroom to come in Matthew chapter 25, and the Bible tells us that they did what they had extra oil in their lamps because they knew that what the bridegroom would tarry. Another example is. The, servants, the two servants that received five bags of gold and two bags of gold from their master, because they knew that they were expecting their master to return, what did they do? Unlike their other servants who received one, they invested the money that they had gotten because of what they were expecting. So there is waiting that is a bit helpless. You don't, you're not doing anything. You're just basically just waiting for something to happen. And then there's waiting that as you set your eye on that thing that you're waiting for, you're expecting or you're doing something. It causes you to do something. Now, that is going to be generally the theme about what we're going to talk about this morning. And you will see how that's going to play out as we talk about what we have this morning. This morning, we are continuing with our Advent series. We've been doing it for the past three Sundays. Um, um, this Sunday was, last week's Sunday was Christmas Sunday, where we actually looked at the fulfillment of Advent. So two Sundays ago, we looked at the beginning of Advent, and that's we looked at Genesis, where we saw why there was a need for us to have that anticipation of Jesus Christ. And then two Sundays ago, we looked at the anticipation of Advent or what was titled, the, A Light Has Dawned. And that, in that case, we looked at Isaiah chapter 8. And in that, in that se session, we saw how the Israelites were looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. And then on Christmas Day, Jesus finally came. And it was the fulfillment of Advent. If you're familiar with traditional Orthodox calendars, usually that will be the end of Advent, right? Jesus Christ has come, and that's the end of Advent. But here... This Sunday, we are culminating or we are coming, bringing our, our Advent series to a close. And there, there's a reason for that. And the reason is very simple. There is a lot more arrival to happen. So we say the Advent is what? The arrival, right? Or the coming or the parousia. There is a lot more to happen. Even after Jesus Christ has come, the birth of Jesus Christ, is that the end of the story? That is not the end of the story. We even found out last Sunday during Christmas that the birth of Jesus Christ was not just about the birth of a baby, a cute baby in a manger. Wonderful story. Very, very, everybody in the world, whether you're Christian or not, you, are, you, know, you, you kind of like that story, isn't it? But that's not where the story ends. 
that baby grew. That baby became a man. That baby spent some time here on earth for a particular reason. And we found out that the reason why Jesus Christ came was to ransom man from his what? From his sin. But again, he did this by his death and what? His resurrection. But again, that's not the end of the story. The story continues. The story continues in the sense that he, after he resurrected, he ascended and was glorified. Is that the end of the story? No, that's not the end of the story. After he resurrected, he continued his work on earth. So when we are looking at our Advent series, we, are, we tend to look at four basic things, or four basic, let me call them, four basic the arrivals. Now here's the fun, funny thing. We've spent three Sundays looking at one of those things. So the past three Sundays, including Christmas, we looked at the arrival or the coming of who? Of Jesus Christ. So we looked at the beginning, the anticipation, and the fulfillment of the coming of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to look at the other three. So you can imagine how funny that's going to be. All right. So that's how we're going to do today. And we're going to start from where um, Jumoke read for us today in Acts chapter 1. And it's very interesting the way the book actually started. So this is the first chapter of Acts, and Luke actually writes in the beginning and says, he's writing to a particular man called Theophilus, and he says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Now, the first book he's referring to, if you want to be familiar, is the Gospel of Luke. So Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the Acts of the Apostles. And in that book, he's right. If you read the book, book of Luke, you see that he, he recounts everything that Jesus did while he was here on earth. Not just did, but also taught as well. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter 24, which is the last chapter in the book of Luke, kind of overlaps Acts chapter 1, because Luke 24 also talks about the ascension and some of the same words that you see in Acts chapter 1, Jesus Christ also says in Luke chapter 24. But again, he emphasizes this aspect of Jesus Christ's coming, and he says he, all the things that Jesus Christ began to do and to teach in while he was here on earth. But that's not all. He didn't just do things and teach things. He also did something. Verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So he suffered. Like we recounted, he came for a particular purpose and that his, by his death and resurrection, he will be able to redeem man from his what? From his sin. So he suffered. But then, the good news is that death did not do what? Hold him down. He resurrected again and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So the first thing I want to talk about today, the first of the remaining three things, or let me say the second of the four things, right? The, the second of the four things, so the first of them is the coming of Jesus Christ. The second I will call the advent of the Holy Spirit, or the coming of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we go through all this anticipation of the Advent. We finally have Christmas. Jesus, God of very God, comes to earth. And then we read in verse 9 that he goes. Or we read in Luke towards the end that he leaves. I mean, what's all that, what's all that about? If you remember during Christmas we heard that an angel appeared to Joseph and told him that Jesus will be called what? Emmanuel, God with us. 
So what's this business about God going after when he, Jesus going when he's supposed to be with us? How do we reconcile this? Does this mean that God is no longer with us? I think John chapter 16 from verse 5 to 8 gives us some insight. And I'll read that very quickly. This is Jesus talking. And he says that, Now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief, because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Here's the thing. When Jesus Christ was here on earth, he could only be in one place at a particular time. He was full of the Holy Spirit. But the people that followed him had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus Christ said that he had to go for him to send the Holy Spirit so that his people, his disciples, those that he had chosen, would continue the work that he had already started. When Jesus Christ was praying, he said to his father that he, he said to his father that it is because the way you have sent me, that is the same way that I am sending them. So I am fully sanctified that they, they too may be truly sanctified. So there is a sense in which Jesus Christ has gone, but he is not yet really gone, is he? In fact, the entire book of Acts tells us about what Jesus Christ himself is actually doing through his Holy Spirit. He continues to do his work in different ways. And we see that when we go through the, the book of Acts. For instance, we know that he tells how he continues to build his church. For instance, selecting an apostle to replace Judas in verse 24 of the same chapter 1, pouring out the Holy Spirit, which we can read in chapter 2, adding people to the church day by day, appearing to Ananias and Paul, healing a paralyzed man. All of these places you will see that it actually says that it is Jesus Christ who is doing these things. Receiving worship from the church, stopping a magician who opposed the gospel in chapter 13, opening people's hearts to receive the gospel. All of these things could not be done unless Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit. So you see that Jesus Christ is not really gone. That's a plus. The second plus is that we now have the Holy Spirit. So yes, he's ascended, but that was a very good thing. It was good because the same way, or in a similar way that Jesus Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit, his disciples and those that he has chosen and sent out into this world to get the opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit as well. So that's the first thing. But what's all this business about? Wait. Wait for a while. Do not do anything. This is what Jesus says to them, right? Don't do anything until I send you that which the Father promised, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, there were 10 days between when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and when the Holy Spirit came, which is, which is Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. What do you think the, the disciples were doing in those 10 days? Jesus Christ asked them to wait. They didn't, do any, they didn't go out as they started to do from Acts chapter 2. But what do you think they were doing? Yeah, I'm sure many of us will remember in the same Acts chapter 1, he says that they were doing what? They were gathered together in a room doing what? Praying, right? But let me read something interesting for you. Look at Luke chapter 24. Again, Luke 24, like I said, is, the, is a parallel chapter with Acts chapter 1. And look at what we are told in Luke 24 from verse 49. Jesus Christ says, I am going to send you what my father has promised. The same thing. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. 
while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This, is, this action or this behavior typifies somebody that we can see is waiting for something. So you see where the whole waiting thing comes in. It comes in first here in the, as, in the aspect of the anticipation of the Holy Spirit. The, the, peop, the disciples know that Jesus Christ has promised them something. They don't really know what the details of this power of the Holy Spirit is going to. They know it's going to come in power. In fact, they even misconstrue it, and we're going to see that in a moment. They think it's saying something else. They know something is coming, but they are ready to wait. Just the same way Mary was told about the birth of, of her son, and she was told it was going to be a virgin conception, and she was, going, she was told that it was going to be, her son is going to be great, and he's going to do all this, and he will save his people from their sin. She wasn't getting this thing. She didn't really fully understand what the details, ent- what, what, it, what it entailed, but she trusted God. And her trust in God led her to actually do certain things, her visit to her sister, to, her, to, her, to, to Elizabeth, to her cousin Elizabeth, and so on. Here also we see the disciples, they were not just holed up in a room. Here in Luke it says that they stayed continually at the temple praising God. There is an action that is, that is reflective of waiting for something that you have, that you have your eyes set upon. So that's the first point. Although within all of that, Jesus Christ won, is primarily with us through the Holy Spirit. So the fact that he's gone doesn't mean that he is gone completely. It means that he is actually with us, but in a special way. By sending the Holy Spirit, we no longer have the Holy Spirit just with Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit, what, inside of us, living within us. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to do what God wants us to do, isn't it? We're able to do what Jesus has commanded us. So that is one. But two, we see the action or the attitude of the disciples in the fact that they were waiting for the advent of the Holy Spirit. I'll say more about the power of the Holy Spirit in a moment. So that's point one, the advent of the Holy Spirit. Point two, or should I say point three, the advent of witnesses. Now, this is a very tricky one. I'm sure when I say the advent of witnesses, or I say when, the, when I say the coming of witnesses, you're going to wonder, where is he getting that from? I'll tell you. It is between verse 6 and 8. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, they have heard that he's going to do something. Wait until I've sent you the, the, one, the gift that the Father has promised, right? And they're thinking, wow, this is what we've been waiting for. You know, we're going to have some serious, tremendous power that is going to uproot the Roman Empire. We're going to get this political freedom, this, you know, military rule back, you know. And they ask the question, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And look at Jesus' gracious response. Jesus is very gracious in his response to them. He didn't tell them, that's a very silly thought. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The first thing I want to talk about when I talk about the advent of witnesses is the power of being witnesses, the power of the mission that Jesus Christ has called us to. Jesus Christ says that when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. It is not power for a military conquest. It is not power 
for a worldly conquest. It is not military or political power. It is the power to be what? To be witnesses. That is what he has given the Holy Spirit as power for us to be. Power to be witnesses. You know, I think that when, it, when the, the whole idea of... I struggled with this, by the way. This whole thing about evangelism and talking about the gospel to people who don't know, know the gospel. I've struggled with it myself. And I think that part of the reason is we don't fully grasp what the role of the Holy Spirit is in actually speaking about the gospel to others. There's a lot of focus on, I don't know too much. You know, I do, I'm not able to articulate the gospel in this way. Or I've not had a three-year seminary degree or a four-year seminary degree to be able to really know how to speak to a Muslim or how to speak to somebody who, who is traditional, who is in a traditional um, religious system. You know, I need to be able to, you know, have all these things. And it's all focused on what your ability is. Let me give you a perfect example, right? And this is the thing that helped me out. Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm sure we're very familiar with it. Jesus, God takes Ezekiel to where? To the valley of what? It's not the valley of bones, it's the valley of dry bones. So it's as if he went to find the driest bones. The ones that, if you look at it, you just know that this one is hopeless, right? There's no hope there. And he tells him something funny. Let me just read it. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? Dry bones, oh. I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. First of all, first of all, let's stop there for a moment. You have, he has come to this valley of dry bones, right? And then God asks him, I don't know how this conversation went, by the way, but God asks him, can these bones live? I'm sure in his mind he was saying, what the hell is this guy talking about? Maybe he means something else. Maybe he's talking about maybe the lives of ants or whatever, or creatures that were crawling on the bones. And his response is, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. He's not saying no. He's not saying, I don't know. He's saying, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And of course, Sovereign Lord shows him. He says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, not bones, dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise and a rattling sound. And the shin bone joined to the knee bone and the knee bone joined to the hip bone. And what happened? Life did come. In fact, it got to a point whereby the bones were there, but there was no life, right? And God said, do you think there can be breath in this life? And he asked him to prophesy breath into the bones. And he goes ahead and he prophesied as he commanded me. And breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Look at the implication of this. It is not just an empty thing. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. The, the nature of the dry bones demonstrates the hopelessness of the unbelieving man. So, if that could actually happen, where God was able to put life through the prophesying of a man here on earth into dry bones, why then do we think it's difficult for God to change the heart of a man when we witness with the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
It is not about how educated we are. It is not about how much we are able to articulate the message of the gospel. It is the fact that God has sent us to be witnesses and he has sent us in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the main thing. If we understand that we have been sent in the power of the Holy Spirit, it makes us go boldly. Look at what happened in Acts chapter 2. As soon as the Holy Spirit came, what did we hear? The next statement is that Peter stood up and did what? He addressed the crowds. There is people that were waiting, that were holding themselves timidly in a room before. The power of the mission is the Holy Spirit. And we cannot do anything without the Holy Spirit. That's one. Two, the mission itself is Christ's mission. Luke is careful to note in the beginning of this chapter that the first book that he wrote, which is the Gospel of Luke, is about what Jesus began to do and to teach. The book of Acts and beyond is about the continuation of Jesus' work, isn't it? We've talked about that already. Jesus was praying in John 17 and he says, Father, as you have sent me into the world, so have I sent them. So we understand that this work is not just something that we have been called to do on our own, right? There isn't a sense in which just go out and do the work by yourself. It is actually Jesus Christ's work that is actually being continued. And if we understand that Jesus Christ was sent into this earth to, to, to unbelievers, he has done his part in that he has actually paid the sacrifice of, for, for sin. He has rescued mankind and then he commissions us, as long as you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, to actually go and do the same thing. You understand that the work that you are doing is not just for yourself. It is actually because you are, it is actually the work that Jesus Christ did that you are continuing. That puts it in, in a bit of perspective, isn't it? So first of all, the power is not just any power. It is the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. Second, the mission itself to be witnesses is Jesus Christ's mission as well. Let me talk about the last thing. And this is where waiting and non-waiting and the advent comes in. And that is the audience of the mission. Christ has called us to go out as witnesses to unbelievers. So with the first few things that we've looked at in terms of the advent, the coming of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit, there was some sort of anticipation, isn't it? The Israelites were waiting for the coming of this Savior. And they waited until what we now commemorate as Christmas Day. The disciples were waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit and they waited for 10 days and we could see how they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. Are the unbelievers waiting for witnesses to come? Are they waiting for witnesses to come? No. So that's the difference, really. Unbelievers are not necessarily anticipating a waiting. But nonetheless, when we do go to unbelievers, we are the advent to them. Do you see that? We are arriving to these unbelievers and they see us the same way people who received Jesus when, they, when, when he first came, as coming to people that are basically unbelievers. It is only after the encounter that they are able to know the value of that arrival. So the audience is not just yourself. Yes, the gospel has been effective in ransoming us from the clutches of sin. And now that we are in the gospel, the audience or the mission is to witnesses. Is to witness not just in your house, but look at how he says it. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then what? To the ends of the earth. By the way, the word witness comes from a root word that also means matter. Now, it's very little wonder when you think about it why a lot of the disciples actually died for the cause of the message of the gospel, isn't it? 
if the word witness, in fact, it's the same word. It's not as if the same word that is translated matter is the same word that is translated witness. So why would we have excuses of, I'm, I'm not bold enough, or I want to look too cool before I, I preach the gospel? All of that goes out the window. We're no longer bothered about what man thinks about when we want to present the gospel. It is about the gospel. Final point. My final point. So we've looked at the advent of Jesus or the coming of Jesus Christ. We've looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit and we've looked at the coming of witnesses. I want us to look at the coming of Jesus again. The coming of Jesus again. Verses 9 to 11. After he said this, he was taken up from before. He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly, two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, "Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven." There is a question that most of us have to ask if we want to embark on a long-term activity. If you want to enter, if you're a young person and you're about to get admission into university, for instance, or you're about to get into a, what you might want to term a long business deal, you know, the question you have to ask in some ways, in, in, in different ways, would be, what is the prospect of this venture? What am I going to get at the end of it? If it is university, you want to study, you want to study medicine because you are thinking about, oh, I can become a doctor either for the fulfillment of the practice itself or for what you will get in terms of wages by the time you start to practice. You have to ask yourself, what are the prospects of doing this thing? I dare say that it is the same thing with being witnesses as well. What is the basis, what is the reason for going out to say you want to be a witness? What do you get at the end of it? Okay, somebody will say, oh, because Jesus Christ says you should be. Yes, Jesus Christ says you should be. But is that the only reason? I want to prove that it is not just because Jesus Christ commands, but it is because it is the best deal on the face of the earth to be witnesses for Jesus. It is the best deal on the face of the earth. You know why? Because Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he is not just going to come to ask you a question, did you do what I asked you to do? He is going to come in glory. He's going to come in such a way that we will remember the way he went in the same glory with which he went, in the fact that he was able to defeat death that is also what we are going to get as well. It is abundant glory. We are not just getting a deal that just means go and preach the gospel and that's the end of it. We are waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ. And as we wait for the coming of Jesus Christ, he has commanded us to do certain things. The reward is for us to actually attain the same glory, joint headship with Jesus Christ. A well-known evangelical cleric in London, Dick Lucas, says that to look firmly at Jesus Christ's return in glory as the fixed point in history is the only way in which we can face reality today. I'll say that again. To look firmly at Christ's return in glory as the fixed point in history is the only way in which we can face reality today. Sometimes I think we think that the coming of Jesus Christ might be sometimes, to, to some of us it might not really be, it, it, the reality of it may not really have dawned on us yet that there is actually a point in history, this history that we have, where Jesus Christ will come again. 
And thinking about that makes you reflect on how you live your life here on earth. Thinking about that makes you know that you are waiting for something and that waiting makes you do something. So they are staring up, looking up as Jesus is ascending. And two men, two men we presume to be angels, come and tell them, stop being on Lucas. He's gone or he's going. There is work to be done. He will come again. Stop standing here staring at Jesus Christ that is here. He has gone, but he's going to come again. In the meantime, he has told you to do something. What is it? To be what? Witnesses. In the meantime, he sends us out to the non-believer so that the non-believer can experience the advent of witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit. What does all this mean? What does all this mean? Let me ask you a question. What do you think is the most compelling thing about Christianity to non-believers? What do you think, if you, if you picked up a random Muslim on the streets of Lagos and you asked him, what do you think the message of the church is or what do you think the message of Christianity is? Or even if he's not a Muslim, maybe he's somebody else, just somebody that is not a Christian. Or what do you think the message of the church is? What kind of response do you think you're going to get? I have an idea. You're probably going to get something along the lines of um, to be good, to be a good person, you know, to live your life the way that is free from all bad things and not to hurt anybody, to treat people the way that you want to be treated. Essentially, those kinds of responses are fueled by the fact that people want to see some sort of goodness in themselves. Inherently, they, they, they seem to think, oh, we can get something. We can get something out of, you know, there's something we can do that would actually help us. Attain. If there is any idea, or if there's anything such as eternal life somewhere else outside of here, they want to have this idea that we, we can attain it. I haven't done too many bad things. If you compare me to this other guy, you know, my goodness outweighs his own if you put it in a scale. Many people know the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. It's a very, very wonderful story. I mean, I mean... It's like a movie, isn't it? It's like a movie. There's the there's the the underdog, the poor parents that you know had to give birth to a baby in a manger, but yet you know he was a beautiful baby that the whole world comes to recognize now. Everybody likes that story. You know, beautiful baby, manger, angels, three kings, uh, the the three wise men. Beautiful story, isn't it? But very few people will be able to articulate what the gospel entails. And I dare say that it is not about goodness or it is not about how we do things. But the most compelling thing about Christianity or the most compelling thing about the gospel is that because we haven't done anything, by no effort of ours, God has graciously looked upon us and given us his grace by sending his son, Jesus Christ. That is the most compelling thing. The grace of our God in Jesus Christ. We haven't done anything to deserve it, but yet he pours it out upon us. That is the most compelling thing. Don't you feel compelled to actually share this compelling thing with others? Scratch that. If you have been saved by the grace of God. Somebody might want to ask me, but this witnessing thing, you know, people saw Jesus Christ. The disciples saw him. The disciples were able to witness. Even Paul, Paul saw Jesus Christ. So at least he can witness to something. There's something he saw that he was able to witness to. I've not seen anything. What are you now asking me to witness to? Do you remember the story of the madman that Jesus Christ cast out demons from and put into the pigs? 
The man wanted to follow him, and Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ told him to go and do what? Go to your people and tell them of the mercy that the Lord has had upon you. If you have not, if you haven't seen Jesus Christ physically, let me tell you what you are an expert on. You are an expert in the fact of the mercy that Jesus Christ has had upon you, and you can witness to that. If you have received the grace of our God through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are called to witness. Then you are called to actually go out and become witnesses and share that same gospel that has been so good in your life, that has been very tremendous in your life with other people. It is not because of what we have done. It is because God sees the terrible state of man, beginning of Advent. He promises to send a deliverer, the anticipation of Advent, Jesus comes, Christmas. He suffers and dies to take the punishment away from you and me. But he's resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he sits in glory. He has given us the same spirit to live within us. And Jesus our Lord is promised to return again. All of this has been done by the amazing grace of God. Isn't it really, really amazing? That is the compelling truth about our Christian faith. We have this gospel and we wait for the return of the Lord. While we wait, are we not compelled to share this gospel? If you have not been saved by this gospel, then Jesus Christ invites you this morning to take advantage of the grace of God for it has been poured out among men to put your trust in Jesus Christ and to continue the work of Christ on this earth to be missions. It is the 1st of January 2017. And at this kind of time, people want to make resolutions. People want to decide on things that they are going to do. I'll tell you, for at least in my own experience, but before you get to March, right? By the time you get to March with your resolution, or even end of, okay, it says end, end of February, you would have, if you even remember what you, what you actually said you are going to do, that is a good thing. But let me suggest something. It doesn't have to be shouting at the top of your voices every time you walk into a room. You can start with just something very simple. Being deliberate about the gospel. Just being deliberate about witnessing. Having at the back of your mind that you really do want to witness, the opportunities will present themselves. Do not be worried about it because it is not your own power. It is in the power of the Holy Spirit. But think about the fact that just as we anticipated the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the unbelievers too have some sort of weight that they wait for us to witness to them. We have our inaugural service next year. Sorry, next week, sorry. This year, 2017. Next week. And City Church identify, identifies itself as a gospel-centered church. And we looked at what some of the things today and we saw that we are a community of worshippers on mission. We are a community of worshippers on mission. What do you think that means? It's not just words on a screen. It means individual people that, seated, that are seated in this room. That is our work. That is what we are called to. Let us pray. Take a moment to just ask God for help. The Bible says He is an ever-present help in times of need. If we really feel it is a need for us to spread the gospel, it is God's work. It's not just our, it's not our own work. It's God's work that we have now been commissioned to do. So he wants to help us. So let us ask him to help us. Ask him to help you. 
Ask him to help you trust in him and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Father in heaven, we thank you not just for what you have done, but for what you have asked us to do. And we thank you that you have saved us, you have chosen to call us your own. We ask you, O Lord, to help us to respond to your command to be witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we are called to, O Lord. Help us to fulfill it. Help everyone who is seated here, O Lord, in their own capacity, O Lord, to be able to be bold witnesses to Jesus Christ. Help those that have not yet fully grasped this message of the gospel, O Lord, to grasp it and run with it, O Lord, so that they too can become witnesses. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.